Hello, thank you for listening to Every Teacher Counts, a podcast exploring 18 years of experience in public education, pedagogy, instructional strategies, and just thoughts. My name is Stephanie Horvath Smith, and if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to contact me at don'tcallmesteph1 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Well, hello there, and I am so glad to have you listening with me this evening. I know that it's been quite a few months since I put up some new content, but I have been sharpening my own toolbox and adding some skills that I think will be complete game changers for any teacher and really for any human. Um, And so what I'd like to talk about tonight is directly related to climate and the relationships that you're going to have primarily with your students if you're a classroom teacher. But if you exist within a schoolhouse or in a family or in any social sphere, then what I'm going to be talking about is really directly applicable to your work as a human. And I really wish that I had been equipped with these skills when I was younger. And I, I go out of my way to actively teach these skills to both of my children. I have a 10-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son. But really, to my daughter in particular, because I find that society does like to shut down women when we have emotions, when we have thoughts, when we have feelings. And I don't ever want her to be in a position to not have the ability to tell someone, stop, this is not acceptable, here's what we're going to do. And so the skill that I'm going to be talking about this evening is very directly and very specifically designing the relationships in whatever sphere you're working, whether it's with a colleague, whether it's with an administrator, if it's with a class, taking the time to almost have a meta conversation about relationships is really worth the effort because you can be completely clear and establish guidelines that might otherwise be assumed. And we all know what happens when we have assumptions. When we have assumptions, we're coming from a place of a story we tell ourselves. We're coming from a place of judgment. We're coming from a place of comparing the current situation to either our past experiences or our beliefs about certain things. And there's nothing more dangerous in my mind than an assumption when all you have to do is ask one or two questions and the assumptions can completely be dispelled or proven. But then you're operating from a place of data and facts. And so what do I mean by designing a relationship? Well, when we walk into a classroom, when we walk into a faculty lounge, when we walk into team planning, when we walk into an administrator's office, you're automatically engaging in a transaction. It's a social transaction between you and the audience with whom you're interacting. And there are always certain sort of societal rules, you know, no violence, um, nothing profane, but really every situation is, is unique and is different. And so if at the beginning of an encounter you and the other parties establish, here is what our expectations are, here is what I am going to be bringing to the situation, 
and here is what I need from you, you can then have a dialogue about the relationship. So, for example, very recently one of my teachers wanted to reset a classroom second quarter. Um, Procedures had gotten a little lax, the class had grown by several students, so there was a different dynamic in the room than there had been at the start of the school year. There had been an inability to reach some parents for a while, and so the teacher really thought through some brainstorming that that reestablishing the rules, the procedures, the expectations for second quarter would allow everyone to be more successful, especially those students that had been added a little bit later. And so before any actions were done, there needed to be some behind the scenes planning. The teacher had to think very strategically about sort of what is my goal, what are my non-negotiables, and how am I going to introduce this to the students? Because if it's introduced in an autocratic way, the students are not going to feel that they have any buy-in, and therefore they have no reason to redesign anything. You know, they're going to be happy with the status quo. They're having fun, they're goofing off, they're doing whatever, and here comes somebody trying to tell them what to do. So instead, the conversation can become, you know, for the teacher ahead of time, what's your ideal classroom look like? What are the attributes of the learners in that room? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And and doing some very specific visualization so that the teacher has a clear grasp on what kind of learning environment he or she wants to create. You can do the same with... Um, a conversation that you're going to be having with a colleague. Do a visualization. Imagine what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what you want to get out of it, because then you're taking the time to really clarify for yourself what you need to get out of the situation as well as what you need to bring to the situation. And I'm not going to lie, this teacher had a lot of fear and anxiety. They were concerned that it might not work. And so part of the visualization was meant to get rid of some of that fear. Because if you talk about fear, and if you give it a face, and you give it a name, and you give it words, it becomes far less amorphous, and therefore, far less scary. And so we did some brainstorming, and I asked the teacher to look physically at the room, and sort of decide, do you need to rearrange furniture a little bit differently? How do you want the flow to be when the students come in? Where are they going to sit? How are you going to communicate to them the seating chart? And so we did all of this planning. This wasn't just something that that they did on a whim. You know, we very specifically talked it through. And it also did not need to be accomplished in one class period. You know, you can very easily have a new seating chart, have students assigned to the seat, you know, Not where you're kind of chasing them around the room and telling them where to sit, but think of a way to either display it so that they can sit down. And then the warm-up that day might be like, what are some things that you are happy with going on in this classroom and what would you like to change? And then you get the students to generate some data for you and you go on with your lesson. And then the next day, the next time you see them, the answers that they've given you to the warm-up can become the basis of the conversation. All right. You know, so the teacher can say to them, you know, I looked at all of your responses. Thank you for being so thoughtful. I really appreciate it. Some of the things I agreed with, some of the things I have questions about. So let's have a conversation about what this classroom is going to look like and function as as we move into 
second quarter, the third week of school, the seventh Friday of the 11th month. It doesn't matter. You know, this conversation can happen whenever you need to, to reestablish. But by giving the students an opportunity to voice what they like and what they need, the teacher can then see how much in alignment or misalignment with their own needs the students are. And honest to God, 99% of the time, both parties need the same thing. They'll say things like, we need to respect one another. We need to wait for the teacher to stop talking before we talk. We need to raise our hands. We need to be kind, you know, blah, 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 the, the conversation. But taking the time to have that conversation lets the students know how very important it is to you and to their success as a learner in your environment. So then you generate these ideas. Um, you can even go one step further and then say, okay, so what are the, the consequences gonna be in a situation where some of these are broken. And students really are oftentimes far harder on themselves than teachers are. You know, they'll say things like, for the first strike, we should have an after-school detention, or you should call my mom. Um, they sort of skip over the, the warning, the pulling the kid aside and having a conversation, the lunch, it, they automatically sort of go to call my mom, call my mom. Um, and that's so powerful because you can see where their tipping point is. That a lot of times kids do not want their parents involved. They want to keep what is happening at school, especially secondary students, staying at school. So if you know that, you can build that in as your third or fourth consequence. If you go to that immediately, you are losing your leverage. You will not have the ability, except possibly you know a team leader detention or an administrative referral, um, and so you really do want to provide yourself with a little bit of wiggle room depending on, on what's happened. Um, the other caveat to this is you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into if A then B automatically because you have to leave room for human judgment. You know, a kid, if you have it established that if a student uses a cuss word, that's an automatic lunch detention. Um, and you know, you have a kid who's constantly doing it, fine, give them the lunch attention. But if you have a kid who is characteristically responsible, respectful, calm demeanor, just suddenly like drop the F-bomb, odds are there's something deeper going on because the behavior has come out of a pattern. Um, and so you can even design that into the relationship that, you know, I as the teacher, I as the educator in the room will have the discretion to sort of apply fairness. Because fairness is not everyone getting the same thing. Fairness is everyone getting what he or she needs or deserves. And that student might have had something happen at home that the other kids don't know about. And you as the adult might not know about. And you don't need to know about it. All you need to know is, you know, this is very uncharacteristic. I think I'm gonna pull this kid aside and just say, hey, if you need to talk, I'm here. That's all that it sometimes takes. And so, um, you know, you post the rules and, and you then enforce them. But that is what I mean by designing the relationships. You, you get some buy-in and you very clearly communicate to the students, these are my expectations. They're in alignment with yours. Here's the difference between them. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what you're willing to do. And you really come up with a social contract. So imagine how much more powerful that is when you have a student voice speaking in your classroom about the climate. Um, they're gonna hold themselves accountable. You might even have peers say, hey, rule number two, you're breaking it. Most teachers are very comfortable with 
this sort of idea of designing the relationship with students. They, it's one of the things that if you don't do it as a first year teacher, you're like, by golly, I'm going to start my second year with this. I need to be more specific. I need to have procedures. I need to have expectations, blah, blah, blah. Where we fall apart as, as professionals and even as humans is sort of applying this designing relationships to even bigger scenarios. Um, I'll give you an example from my own experience. You know, we all have those people in our lives that they do something and you're like, I really need to talk to this person. I really need to bring it up. This is really bugging me. I can't focus on anything else. And you get sort of stuck in your own brain and you know that there needs to be a conversation, but you make it so much bigger than it needs to be. So my advice is number one, don't wait. And number two, call the person up, go visit the person, whoever it is, and say, you know, a situation has come up that I really want to speak with you about, but before we do, I'd really like to set some ground rules because I really value this relationship and I really want to make sure that no harm is done, but I also need to make sure that you hear my truth. And, you know, they might be taken aback and be like, what are you talking about? And you can say, you know, um, I need you to listen with an open mind. Um, I need to be able to ask you clarifying questions. Um, you need to feel free to tell me to mind my own business if we go down a path you don't want to go, you know, and establish with them what the sort of grounders are and then have a conversation. And it's going to result 99% of the times in a lot less of hurt feelings because you've already sort of prepared them for the idea that this might be a conversation that they really don't want to have but need to have. And a lot of times, you'll find out that your assumption about the situation was completely wrong. And because you very clearly have set the expectations and are able to have that conversation, there isn't conflict. There isn't a fight. There isn't an argument. You're able to reach a consensus. And sometimes you even might get a laugh. Um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to do that with a superior because our managers, our bosses, our assistant principals, they're humans too. And they've been in situations where they might be uncertain and they might feel uh, a certain affinity. Um, by the same token, you know, you can also, if you have a very excitable person with whom you need to have a conversation, you can sort of ground them and, okay, we're not going to let our emotions get away with us. And if they do, we're going to take a two minute time out and then we'll come back. Um, it doesn't have to be just tense, contentious conversations. It can be like, man, I really need to tell my kid that he needs to do his homework because we're doing XYZ, you know, he's earned this reward or we're going to a party or whatever it happens to be. Um, I know with my own 10 year old, I have to preface it with, okay, there's going to be a surprise. No, it's not going to be a trip to Disneyland. No, it's not going to be a slime making factory, whatever she happens to have been asking for. You know, you don't want them to be automatically, oh, are we going to, you know, it's a million dollar trip. You know, it, it might be an extra candy bar, whatever. But, you know, you can apply this to any situation. And I would absolutely recommend that you try this on a relationship that you're very comfortable with that you sort of use as a guinea pig anyway. You know, for me, it's my husband and my kids. And I'll be like, okay, so at dinner tonight, we're going to try something different. And here's what we're going to do. And I sort of lay out and I give them the meta view of, of what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And then we do it. And, and I get practice in being very clear in my communication and very direct, and they get the opportunity to ask very direct, specific questions. And so this idea of designing relationships, of speaking with intention to those with whom we're going to have interactions, whether they be happy, sad, angry, good, 
they're above you in the power hierarchy, they're below you in the power hierarchy. Um, there's nothing really better than, than stepping into your own power. Um, and so I really, I'm going to end this, uh, this segment with a couple of, of think abouts, like some homework. Um, so number one, I want you to think about a situation with a person, a group of people, a social contract, a relationship that you're having that needs to be altered. Something needs to be changed. Something needs to be addressed. That's where I, I, I sort of want you to start. And then I want you to imagine the worst possible outcome from designing the relationship. Are there tears? Are there children throwing desks? Are you fired? You know, what is the biggest, deepest, darkest, worst thing that you think could happen? And get that out of the way because I'm telling you that's not going to happen. Unless you have done something so completely stupid or illegal that you just know that, okay, dude, I'm getting fired. Okay. That would be a different kind of conversation anyway. So give the fear of voice, give the fear of face, give the fear of name, deal with it. And then once you've identified the situation, identified the worst possible scenario, identify the best possible scenario. What is the top three things that could happen that would make that situation turn around? And then those three really become sort of the goal of, of what you design in. You're not going to get all three probably. But going in with a clear idea of what you don't want to happen and what you do want to happen will make the conversation that much more clear. And you can even have a conversation before the conversation. You know, if you have a particular parent-teacher conference coming up and you're, you want to talk to your teachers about how the conference is going to run, have a conference about the conference first. Set up the parameters. Set up the ground rules. Here's who's going to talk. Here's what the expectations are of the data that you need to bring. Here's what we're not going to do. Um, I happen to know that this parent has a poor reaction when men speak or women speak. And you can, as a team, brainstorm how you're going to handle all of that. So this designing the relationship can apply to team settings, classroom settings, life settings, friendship settings. And so I really urge you to think about how you want to take charge of your own relationships how you want to be, how you want to show up, and how you're going to communicate that. And if you have any questions, as always, my email is don'tcallmesteph1 at gmail.com. And a new service that I'm offering is life coaching. My, e my website is stephaniesmithlifecoach.com. The first 15-minute interval is absolutely free to make sure that we are a fit. And I look forward to hearing about your successes, and I wish you well.